Guys, welcome. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I'm so, and thank you for the one person who's also glad to be here. Hey, listen, um, if you went to the Recharge Retreat, this is going to look incredibly familiar, and you might be freaking out for a minute, like, wait, are we going to learn all the same stuff? No, we're not. Um, But we are going to sort of take what we learned at Recharge Retreat, and we're going to sort of dovetail off of that into a series that we're piggybacking on, the theme and everything, called Grow. All right. So I want to tell you guys about a guy named Mark Twain. Do you guys anyone know who Mark Twain is? Okay. Mark Twain is an author. Okay. And he wrote books like Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer and stuff like that. Okay. That's who Mark Twain was. And so Mark Twain was taking a fishing vacation up in the great state of Maine. Has anyone ever been to Maine before? Okay. Maine's awesome. Uh, but so Mark Twain was up in Maine. You just, you're just opposing it just because, just because you have to. So Mark Twain was taking a vacation up in Maine, and as he was on the train back home, um, he sat across from really only one other person uh, on, his, on his train ride, okay? And so they just began to talk, okay? I don't know if you guys have ever, like, traveled, but this was probably pre-headphone days, probably pre-MP3 player days, probably pre-iPhone days, and so, um, which I know sounds crazy to you, and, like, you're like, wait a minute, so we have to actually talk to people when we travel? Yes, that's exactly what happened. And so Mark Twain and this other guy were sitting on the train, and they were talking about just stuff, and, and Mark Twain was telling about his fishing trip. And here's the thing about his fishing trip. He went, and it's not illegal to go fishing, but it is illegal to go fishing out of season, okay? But, and so he did that. He was out of season. It wasn't time to go fishing. He did it without a license, but he was catching all these fish. And so as he got more and more comfortable, he was telling this guy all his stories and fishing stories and stuff like that. And um, as, as they began to just like introduce each other and who they are, what he discovered was that this guy was actually the game warden for the state of Maine. The game warden is the person who uh, gets you in trouble if you do things that you shouldn't be doing, like, I don't know, catching fish outside of season. Now, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever said or done something in front of someone that you know you shouldn't have? Like, let me give you an example. Like, maybe you were talking badly about a teacher, and all of a sudden, you realize that that teacher is standing behind you, when you, walk, when you turn around and walk in the classroom. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you were sending a text message about someone and then you accidentally sent it to that someone. Have you ever done that? Or maybe you were just talking about something that was maybe inappropriate that you shouldn't be talking about in the cabin at a summer camp or a recharge retreat. And then you realize, oh wait, the youth leader's been in here for 30 minutes listening to everything that I said. I don't know uh, if any of you have ever been there, but truthfully, I want to talk about, there are three different ways in which we talk to people, okay? The first is this, when we're speaking to somebody, okay? Like, like, so hit that first one there, Alec. <clears throat> when you're speaking to somebody, all right, this is like if you're talking to a teacher or a principal or a coach or a parent, right? You probably don't talk to them the same way that you talk to all your friends on Friday night. Am I right? Like, you maybe clean up your language a little bit. You maybe clean up your presentation. You maybe use complete sentences and complete thoughts. Um, and maybe you think about the way you look or the way you act or the way you dress in front of these people, okay? That's how it is when you're speaking to somebody, right? Um, and then, of course, as you get more and more comfortable with someone like a, a parent or a sibling or even more comfortable like a best friend, you sort of let your guard down a little bit, okay? 
Now, there's another way that we talk to someone, when you're speaking in front of someone. So maybe you're talking about someone, but not to them, but you're in like the same circle. So like, uh, let's say I'm talking about my friend Joe, and he's in the same circle as me, but I'm talking to my other friend, um, let's say Nathan, okay? I'm talking about Joe in front of Joe, but to somebody else, okay? And so again, in that scenario, I'm probably not going to say anything that I shouldn't say about Joe, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, you're going to watch what you say. Uh, Though you're not talking directly to him, you're talking about him. And then the third way is when we're speaking in the absence of someone, this is the one that gets us in trouble, right? Like this is the one that we, uh, it sort of can twist and feel a little bit like gossip because we're talking about them. We're assuming that this person is never going to hear what we say. But if we do happen to find out that they, they find out what we said, then that is cause for great concern. That's when we start to freak out. Um, most people, when they find out that someone hears what they said about them, if it's not good, um, feels kind of bad that they said that, right? At least most decent people feel that way. Maybe you don't feel that way. I don't know. Um, but just as a quick aside, like this really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but this is something that I think I see way too much in church, okay, is this whole thing of gossip. Like we just talk about people when they're not there, and it's not good, and it's degrading, and this has absolutely no place for us as Christians in the church. It's dangerous, it's toxic, and truthfully, we should do everything we can to eliminate it, all right? Because here's the deal. You should not have to make someone else seem worse than you to make yourself feel better, okay? That just proves how insecure of a person you are if you have to do that, and so like this whole thing. Now, if you're talking praise on someone, like that's a whole nother thing. But when you're degrading, belittling, tearing down, speaking ill of someone, like there is no place for that in the church. Okay. Here's what Ephesians 4 29 says. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful. Hey, hit that slide. But only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. All right. So I hate this. I legitimately dislike gossip. And so if you ever are doing it and I catch you, like you're, I'm going to tell you stop, okay? Um, so I digress. That, again, has nothing to do with what we talk about today. But what we're going to talk about is this idea of growing, all right? And if you're at the Recharge Retreat, you know that our big idea the first night was this. It was that fruit is the, hey, give it up for Dana who just got baptized. <laughs> so you know that uh, the first night we talked about this, we said that fruit is the evidence of growth in our lives, okay? And so we talked about some very tangible, practical things there at the retreat, but we're going to dive in just a little bit more about how we can start to experience those in our lives. So if you have your Bible or if you have your phone, do me a favor and turn to Psalm chapter 139, okay? And if you're like, 139, that's a lot of chapters. Yeah, Psalms has a lot of them, okay? Maybe you didn't even know that there was a book in the Bible that had over a hundred chapters, but the book of Psalms does. Um, And so we're going to be in Psalm 139, and we're going to read uh, verse 1 down through 12, okay? So anyway, as you're getting there, here's what I think. I think a lot of us treat God the way that we treat that person in list number three. We talk about him as if he's not there. 
right? Like, just like we talk about a teacher who we don't think's in the room, or we talk about a friend who we accidentally send a text to, or we talk about things we shouldn't in front of a youth leader when we don't think they're there. Like, I think that's how many of us treat our relationship with God. We talk about him as if he's not actually there. And so the, the thing I want to dive into is today is how do we start to experience growth in our faith. And so if the evidence of our growth is fruit in our lives, and if you were at the recharge retreat, you know that fruit isn't like actual, like the amount of apples that you have in your refrigerator at home, but like the evidence or the, the tangible things that are displayed in your life, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things, you start to see those things, that's evidence that you're growing. How do we begin to develop those things personally? And here's our kind of theme verse for this whole series, okay? It's one of my favorites. Um, and again, if you're at the retreat, I read it one night, but it's uh, 2 Peter 1.3. And he says this. He says, he, so he is talking about Jesus and God. So he gives us everything we need for life and holy living, all right? What that means is in order for you to grow, if you're a follower of Christ, you have everything you need, okay? Um, we need for, for life and holy living. He gives it through his great power. And as we come to know him better, we learn that he called us to share his own shining greatness and perfect life. So what inevitably happens almost every single time that I come home from like a summer camp or a recharge retreat or whatever, someone says to me like, this was great. What can you give me to keep this mountaintop high spiritual experience going? And what they're asking for is like, hey, can you give me like a devotional? Or hey, can you give me like a certain worship playlist? Or hey, can you give me like what are these types of things? And those things are super helpful. But here's the deal. Here's what I want you guys to see. God gives us everything we need. So if we believe that God is true to his promises, then if you're a follower of Christ, you have everything you need in order to experience life and holy living. You have everything you need to grow. And so if that's the case, then what are those things and how do we tap into them? And so that's, like I said, that's our theme verse. And so for this entire series, for for this month and for the few weeks that we're going to meet in December, we're going to look at things that you don't need anything extra, right? Like you don't need um, a certain, like a certain study Bible or a certain devotional or a certain like prayer guide or whatever. You just have what you have. Like if you have God's word and you have his indwelling Holy Spirit inside of you, which the Bible tells us that we do, then you have all you need. And so what are those things that we're going to need? All right. Because here's the deal. One day you're going to graduate from our church and from our youth ministry. All right, you're maybe going to go to college, you're maybe going to get married, you're maybe going to have kids, you're maybe going to have a job someday, and you, you won't always have um, someone like me, a tailor-made, age-specific program built just for your age to help teach you and walk you through how to grow. You won't always have events like the Recharge Retreat and Summer Camp and those types of things. Like Those are great in student ministry, but once you become an adult, unless you become a leader, we don't offer those things very often. So how will you take what you already have and, and reposition and retool it so that you will grow in your faith? All right, that's what I kind of want to talk about. And so our first, like, our first topic for today that we're going to talk about is the idea of prayer, 
okay? And as I say that, maybe you're like, oh my goodness, we've literally heard about prayer so many times. Like, I've grown up in church, you've talked about prayer, we pray every single week, like what else is there to learn? The reality is this, prayer is so basic, but at the same time, we don't ever take advantage of it the way that I think Jesus intends for us to, all right? And so here's what I need. Um, at your tables, we're going to do a quick table talk. And here are a couple questions I want you guys to kick around. The first one is this. What feels weird to you about prayer? All right? And don't say nothing, because if it were nothing, then you would probably be praying more often than you are. So what feels weird to you about? Is it like that you're talking to someone who's invisible? Is it that you've never actually like seen God with your actual eyes or heard him with your actual ears? Does that seem weird to you? Or does nothing, like, does nothing seem weird to you? But again, I'm going to push back on that a little bit, because I don't think that's actually the case. Because even for me, I'm a pastor, and sometimes prayer feels weird, okay? So you're allowed to, you're allowed to say something feels weird about it, if it does. The second question I want you to answer answer is, in the last week, aside from meals, how many times do you think you prayed? All right, so besides like, hey God, thank you for this food, amen. All right, besides that, how many times do you actually think you prayed? So can I get a leader at every table? I think we're close. B, if you come here, that'd be great. Um, And then let's, I'll give you five minutes or or maybe a little less to unpack these questions. Let's get some soft music going on your mark. Get set out loud with words. Go. If you didn't finish this up in small group, but here's the deal. Here's the, let's read. If you have your Bibles open, Psalm 139, we're going to read 1 down through 12, okay? So it says this, this is written by a guy named David, all right? So if you've grown up in church, you've maybe heard that before, but he says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. If you have a pen, underline that verse, okay? Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down, stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm gonna say even before I say it, Lord, and you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings in the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright day. Darkness and light are the same to you. All right. So we've mentioned this verse a handful of times over the last couple weeks, actually, between both the retreat and our last series, Overwhelmed. But verse one, like I had you underline it, is one of my favorite verses. It says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. So on a scale of one to intimidating, just ask yourself, how scary is that prospect that God knows everything about you? Because here's the deal. We try to hide stuff from people all the time. It's the reason that we don't share everything. It's the reason that we create spam Instagram accounts and block people from being able to see everything, being able to see our true selves, right? Like we hide as much as we can about our real selves um, from people, but the Bible tells us that God knows everything there is to know about you. I don't know about you, but for some people that may be very comforting, and for others of you that may be incredibly scary. But the reality is this, God knows your thoughts, your desires, your temptations, your fears, your sinful attitudes. He knows everything. And so when you go and you approach a teacher 
and you put on a certain type of face or a certain type of front, or you, um, you uh, temper your language to be a certain type of way, the reality is that God even knows the real you behind all that, all right? And that's our first point, and they already got up on the screens because they're ahead of me. The real you can't escape God, all right? If you have your Bible still open, look at what verse 7 says. David writes, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Now, again, for some of you, you're like, holy cow, that's scary. Like, where am I supposed to go? You can't go anywhere. Like, that's God. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and always present. And God knows everything. And so here's the deal. Maybe to you, you don't feel like he's everywhere, but the reality is that he is everywhere, now, I don't know why he sometimes, like, we don't always feel this keenly um, awareness, this keen awareness of God's presence at all times, do we? Like, there's times where it just doesn't feel like God's there. And we're wondering, like, why can't I figure out, why can't I feel you, God? Like, where are you? I think he might do that for a reason. Like, think about it. How many of you, if you're in the hallways at your school, you talk a certain way, you act a certain way, you joke with your friends a certain way, and then when the principal is in that same hallway, and he's looking right at you, how many of you act a certain way, talk a certain way, interact with your friends a certain way, right? Like if, if God's presence was always on you, you would act a certain way. And I think that God wants you to, in your own desire, turn to him as opposed to do it out of like fear for getting in trouble. Because that's why you behave with the principle. You don't behave with the principle because you want to. You behave with the principle because he's going to get you in trouble if you don't. All right, and if God was always there, which, oh, by the way, he is, like, and we always felt that, then we would, be in, we would find ourselves into this forced type of obedience. And that's not who God is, or that's not the desire that he has out of your life. He wants you to turn out of a willing and cheerful spirit and heart to him. But here's the deal. Here's something I want you guys to know. If we can't escape God, then what should we do? I think we should let him in on our conversation. I think we should become more, and that's going to be a slide back there, you guys. Uh, I think we should let him in on our conversation. So stop acting like he can't hear. Stop acting like he doesn't know. Stop acting like he isn't there, but instead let him in on your life. I have a quote I want to show you. John Ortberg says, the goal of prayer is to live all my life and speak all my words in the joyful awareness of God's presence. So, real quick, and then we're going to get out of here. Three, why should we praise? Okay, the first one is this. Why should you take prayer seriously? The first one, because Jesus demonstrates it, all right? Jesus himself, who was God, by the way, demonstrated a prayerful dependence on the Father. Hold on. <laughs> Look at what Mark 1, 35 says. But before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Jesus, God himself, found prayer and dependence upon the Father so crucial. There's a reason, for those of you who were there with us last weekend, there's a reason that we start every morning with prayer. Optionally, yes, but we want to say, God, be in, like, be here. Like, we want to ask him for his guidance, his wisdom. We don't want to do anything out of our own power. And ironically enough, Jesus himself positioned himself in a place asking God to do amazing and mighty things through him and in his ministry. Jesus did not make a move without first hearing from God. 
And I'm just curious how often you make decisions, how often you make big life um, altering, you know, whatever decisions or, or whatever you do without consulting God first. And like how silly, if we're honest, how silly is that? The second thing why we should pray, it creates in us a pure heart. All right. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Like we said earlier, we don't want to be forced or manipulated into obedience. And so instead, spending time with Jesus allows us to create, allows him to create in us a pure heart. Okay? And he gives us the tools that we need to lay aside our anxieties, our worries, our selfish ambitions, and center ourselves back to focusing on God. God is the one who judges our, your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes. And so it's hard to have unpure motives if you're allowing him to purify and cleanse your heart. The third reason that we pray, it's a key to success. Okay, and that one might sound a little weird to you. Like, "Mm, why are we talking about success? Like, listen, here's what John 15 says. Jesus is talking. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted to you. And you're thinking like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, that's something I'm looking for. Listen, Jesus is very clear. If we remain in him and allow his words to remain in us, then we will be so in tune with him and his spirit that prayer will just be so natural and everything that we ask will come according to him and his will. And so you're thinking like, how in the world am I supposed, like, like, okay, so you're saying if I ask for anything, he'll give it to me? Like, well, hold on a minute. I'm going to break that down. Okay, so here's the deal. If we look at the conditions of this promise, you guys have that verse, John 15, 7? Yeah. So if we look at the conditions of his promise, he says, if you remain in me, all right, that means that you are continually going back to God. You're not venturing out on your own, trying to make things happen on your own power, your own strength. But if you remain in him and his word remains in you, how in the world are we supposed to allow Jesus's word to remain in us if we're not spending any time with it? If we're not spending any time with him, if we're not, if we're not coming to church often, if we're not uh, spending time in accountability with small group, how are we supposed to allow his word to remain in us? And so there's a mutual kind of back and forth, like you're submitting, but you're allowing him, like if you were in service this morning, you heard Pastor Brad say that God's word is the authority for our life. Everything we do, not just this like uh, ice cream topping type of Christianity where we're like, you know what, I'll take some sprinkles today, but leave off the chocolate. I'm not into it. Like, no, God gives you all of it or none of it. He's either everywhere in your life or you're stonewalling him out of, out of places of it. And here's the deal. If we remain in him and his words remain in us, then everything we do when we're centered in Jesus through a posture of prayer that means that we're living a life of obedience, okay? And so what are some things we should pray for if this is the case? What are some things that we should ask God for, like an A in math or a new car? Like, here's what John fifteen fourteen says, or John five fourteen. He says, ask, Jesus says, ask in his will. Well, how do you know what God's will is? You gotta spend time with him. You see what I'm saying? Like, all this is coming back to how you're spending your time. And so, What are some things that are in accordance with Jesus' will? What are some things that we can pray for? The first one is this. 
You can pray for your fears and you can pray for your anxieties, all right? Paul in Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and petition. Present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. First Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. So when you're nervous about stuff, it's not like it's like God's too good for that. Okay. I think sometimes we think I'm really worried about this math test right now. And that's just silly. God's not worried about that. He's trying to end world hunger. I can't burden him with this. No, God wants you to cast your anxieties on him. He tells you in the Bible, like, I care for you. Tell me what's going on. Be in constant conversation with me. Another thing to pray for, temptation. All right, 1 Corinthians 10 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide you a way out so you can endure it. All right, this verse is commonly misconstrued to read that God won't give you more than you can handle. But if you look back with me at what it says, it says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So God is going to overwhelm you all the time, all right? Only through our dependence on him where we acknowledge that he is stronger will he then give us a way out, all right? And so he will, yes, as this verse says, he will give you a way out, but that way out is through prayer, and through us uh, leaning back into our relationship with him. The third thing that we should pray for is this, <coughs> relationships. All right, Matthew five forty four, Jesus says, but I say this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Guys, relationships are so key. And like I'm becoming more and more aware that our relationships horizontally, sideways, are tied to our relationship vertically with God. And so if there's discord, if there's enmity, if there's uh, jealousy, if there's broken relationships between you and a friend, like that's going to affect your relationship with God. And if you're at the retreat, you know, we talked about conflict, conflict resolution, all that kind of stuff. Like that stuff matters. That will help you grow or that will keep you from growing. Like I dare you, go back to that verse, Matthew 5, guys. Um, I dare you that if you have someone who you don't like, pray for those who persecute you. Like, it's very hard to be angry with someone who you're praying for, all right? Relationships matter. And so here's what I want with all these things, and you're thinking, how is this supposed to help me grow? The big idea that I want you guys to take away, and I want you to implement in your week as soon as, like, 1230 when you walk out of this building is this. Try to see this week each of your problems as an invitation to prayer, Every single time you face a problem, I want to encourage you and invite you to turn to God with that problem. Every time you experience some stress or something that like you seem is too big to handle, turn to God in prayer. Anytime a relationship seems broken, I want to encourage you to turn to God in prayer. Anytime you feel tempted to enter into sin, I want to encourage you to turn to God in prayer. That is what this looks like. And guess what? I promise you, if you do that, you will start to experience growth in your relationship with Jesus, and those fruit of the Spirit will become more and more evident in your life. This isn't like a quick fix kind of thing, like, but I want to challenge you guys. I think sometimes we think that prayer needs to be 
this elaborate thing, this like, I'm going to stand on a street corner and make a big deal of my prayers. But instead, God just wants you to turn to him and offer simple prayers about what you're going through. That's how you can enter him into every part of your conversation and every part of your life. All right. So that's the challenge this week. You're going to go unpack that now in small group and talk about ways to make that happen. So let me pray real simply, real quickly. God, thank you for these students. Help them have a good time in small group. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Get out of here.